Good morning. You know, I am so thankful for people in our church. Uh, Easter was absolutely incredible. And I hope that you got a chance to go through the upper room experience and the, the attention to detail and the study that went in to that, um, that experience from Debbie Nill to Helen DeClue, Casey Long, all the team that made that happen is absolutely phenomenal. And I am just thankful uh, for all of them. And, uh, um, you know, what a, what a great thing. Thank you for all the guest services, the team that made everything happen. I'm just really grateful. Also, um, we're going through the Bible as a church. And I just want to invite you to jump in with us. I, I know the, the journey of going through a text like that is, is difficult and it's hard and it's easy to get behind and it's easy to get discouraged. But I want to challenge you, even if you're behind, just jump in where we are. Jump in with us. Because what we're doing each week is we're preaching through something that we've read. And it's so very valuable to process this together. So I just want to invite you to jump in to our reading. And, and one of the reasons that I'm excited about our church engaging the scriptures like never before, I'm excited about that because, because God's word shapes the way we think and we live. At least it ought to do, it ought to do that, right? It's one of our values as a church that we allow God's word to shape the way we think, to shape the way we live. You know what I found about my life is I don't always think right. And I'm thankful for how God's word helps me think, helps correct the way I think. And this is, some, this is why we see the word of God as authoritative. Now, if you have your Bibles, we're in Psalm 9. So I want you to turn there and, and, and let's, let's just think about our world right now. It's obvious as we look at the news and look around at the times that we live, we live in a sin-impacted world. Uh, we're seeing the effects of it everywhere we look. Um, there's so many fears. There's climate fears. There's the, the Cold War seems to be heating up around the globe. And, and you know, we, there's always been wars and rumors of wars, right? There's always been that way. There's always been that. But, but you know, when you really look at the history of the world, this is, uh, this is the first time that in history that we could bring global destruction. You know, there's always been destruction. But, but we've perfected this, this art of war, if you will. And there's fears with that. But here's what we know when we read Psalm 9 and we look at the Bible, that, that God is not out of control. And when you look at Psalm 9, uh, we, we, must for, we must not forget that no matter how much evil we see around us, and I want you to think about this. No matter what, how much evil we see around us, God is at work bringing history to its appropriate end. I'm not fatalistic. But, but I am just wanting us to, be a, to embrace the word of God and how God is simply at work in the world. And, and Psalm 9 is one of these parts of Scripture where you see that, that every government... Every part of the natural world, every prevention, every, or excuse me, every, every provision, every uh, tension 
All of that is in the hands of the master of this whole place. There's a master of this whole place, and he's on the throne. And Psalm 9 points us to this. Now, before we jump into the psalm, what I want us to do is, is understand an important part of interpreting Scripture. So my first point is, not, is related to Psalm 9, but it's not in Psalm 9 necessarily. But I want you to write this down. When you think about uh, the categories of the Old Testament, in our Bible reading, we're reading the Old and New Testament. Well, when you study the Old Testament and you look at the Old Testament, you have to recognize the categories or the genres, if you will. There are, different, there, are, there are five genres or categories in the Old Testament, and you, didn't, you need to know what you're reading when you read the Old Testament. They're, they're, and I want to give them up, put them on the screen. They're up here. The, the first category is a narrative. There are stories in the Old Testament, and we've seen these narratives play out. You, you see the story of David. We're in that in Samuel, and you saw the story of the judges. Those are narratives, and there's all kinds of narratives throughout the Old Testament. There's also the law. We read... Uh, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and, and, and there's, there's aspects of the law. And so you need to understand, okay, that's the law of God, and, and that's revealed in the Old Testament. There's, there's prophecy in the Old Testament. You'll get into that in you know, the prophecy about the Messiah, the first coming. You'll see prophecy in Daniel about the second coming of the Messiah. You'll see wisdom literature. There's just literature that are wise practices. You'll, you'll run into that as you read through the Old Testament. Do you know what else you'll see? You'll see poetry in the Old Testament. That's a big part of the, it's a big category, a big genre of the Old Testament, poetry. And, you know, we're going to be reading the Psalms. And all through the Psalms, you see poetry. Well, how do you understand poetry? Can I just give you some principles as you, because we're going to read the Psalms a lot. Often in our reading, you'll have one Psalm to process, Now, how do you process that psalm? Can I give you a couple of principles real quick? If you're going to process a psalm, you've got to look at the whole of the psalm. That's the first thing. When you look at a psalm, you've got to step back and not just look at an individual verse, but take a a big snapshot of the whole psalm. You've got to let each psalm stand. Like like, uh, I've had some questions. Why are we reading that psalm with this writing? Well, each psalm stands on its own. So you need to let it stand, okay? Read the whole, the whole psalm and understand it through its totality. Let each one of them stand. You also need to connect to the author of the psalm. Like we're going to read Psalm 9, and it's David. You know, it'll, it'll say this is a psalm of Asaph or a psalm of David. So you need to pay attention to the author because the, the life of the author influences the psalm. And God used all that. So, so you need to pay attention to the life of the author as you read the psalm. Uh, you need to pay attention to the structure of the psalm. It's structured in a way. Some, now, a lot of times in the original language, it's easier to see the structure than in English. But, but there's a structure to it, so pay attention to the structure. That's important. And then lastly, you need to always keep Christ in mind. Now, as you read all the genres of the New Testament, all the categories of the New Testament, or the Old Testament, and the New Testament, you always have Christ in mind. It's really important. It's just simple hermeneutics, if you will. It's, it's just a way to understand the Psalms. So, um, you know, it's interesting as we focus on Psalm 9, uh, and in the Psalms you see prayers, you see songs, you see liturgies. There's these formal liturgies that you see. You see wisdom psalms. Now, Psalm 9 
as we read it, I want you to have David in your mind. We're, we're pretty good in our modern society of multitasking, right? Um, so as we read this psalm, I want you to th- have two things on your mind. I want you to think about, have everything you know about David in your mind. And I also want you to keep Christ in mind. Let's stand together and let's look at this. Now, now before we read it, the main idea of the psalm, this psalm is that David rejoices in the Lord, right? Catch that. That God rules over all the nations and he judges ungodly people. God does this. He delivers those who trust in him. That's, you're going to see that in this psalm and have David in your mind. Verse 1. Look at verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You've blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises that in the gates of the daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net that they hid. Their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, now you, you can't overlook how much the Bible 
turns the camera on David. It's fascinating. Because so much of the, of, the, of the story of the Bible revolves around David's life. In fact, I, I did a little quick research, and, and there are 989 direct references to David. It's fascinating. And, and, and you know, when you think about his life, let's, let's recognize his life. Because right now in our church, in our reading, we're, we're in 1 Samuel. And we're rubbing shoulders with David in his, in his life. We just read about him, him um, killing Goliath. And, and, you know, it's interesting as you think about David's life because he was a little brother. I'm a little brother. Uh, uh, for you that are little brothers, did you ever do the whole quit hitting yourself from your big brother? My big brother did that to me all the time. It drove me crazy. Um, David was a little brother. Think about what we've read in the last few days, how how. Samuel comes to David's house because God told Samuel, the king's going to be in the house of Jesse. So he looked at all the big brothers. Got any other guys? Yeah, he's out in the field, the youngest, watching sheep. And he comes and Samuel anoints him king. You're the next king. Samuel was afraid because, you know, Saul was still in power. And it's interesting that Samuel was afraid, but, but here's David. Can you imagine all what his brothers thought? I don't think they all got it. I don't think they believed that Samuel was right here because you, you saw in the story of David and Goliath, he had the, the, the big brother slam right before he went to fight Goliath, right? Remember that? When um, uh, he's up there, he's hearing Goliath, he's like, who's this punk? Who's this uncircumcised Philistine? Which is a good cut down. If somebody makes fun of you, go call him an uncircumcised Philistine and just watch him process that. Like, did you? Oh, what? Um, next time you're mad at somebody, try that. Um, I'm just kidding. Don't. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't do that. But you remember what, he, what his brother said? Go back and watch your sheep. Get out of here, kid. But then David steps up and kills Goliath. It's fascinating when you think about his life, how he learned, and let's pay attention, David learned to wait on the timing of God. This psalm is one of those reasons why I believe that David is a man after God's what? Heart. He's a man after God's own heart. And Psalm 9 points, I think, to the reason why. And we're going to see this even next week. Another reason why David is a man after God's heart. In spite of his mistakes, in spite of his failures, he learned to wait on the Lord. To, to, he, and you also see in David's life the patience. He was in this leadership crockpot. Uh, you know, he was like, do you know what I mean by that? Like a crockpot meal? Have you ever had a crockpot meal versus a sandwich? Crockpot meals are better, man. They simmer. They're better. I mean, you taste that roast that has been in a crockpot for like, 12 hours and it just falls apart. I mean, you're thinking, thank you, Jesus, for this cow right here. You know, because of, and David was in this crock pot of leadership training, basting for years. Think about processing that. He, he, he learned to trust God through all kinds of trials, through shepherding trials, through little brother trials, through Saul trials, through family trials. And so, and you know what I think is very important with Psalm 9 is you see this, um, this real lesson, this, this Matthew 16.33 lesson. Now, here we are in Tulsa. 
God's called us to this place where we are among the health, wealth, and prosperity influence in the United States. That's Tulsa. And, and, and you know what? We can't forget John 16, 33. Because Jesus said, I've told you these things that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And you know, all through the scriptures, you see God's people that are right in the middle of God's will. I mean, Amber read about John the Baptist. She's read about him. What did think about John the Baptist? He was right in the middle of God's will, serving the Lord with all he had. Herod cut off his head. Let's think about the ending of the disciples. All of them, they're, they're examples of faith. We look to their faith, and, and let's recognize the ending that they had. They were crucified upside, Peter was crucified upside down. Uh, you know, James was killed. John, the, John the, he was exiled to Patmos. That wasn't a vacation. Now, you might go, oh, thanks. I'm so encouraged today. Thank you, Chris. For... But let's recognize so, much of the, so many of the Psalms are laments how God gives strength in the midst of the difficulties. That's Psalm 9. And you know what you, know what you see in Psalm 9? An overarching theme, and, and point two is this, is that um, is knowing Christ changes the perspective of every problem in life. And, and this is something I want you to recognize, that, that knowing Christ, your whole perspective about difficulty changes. And, and, and what, what God's Word changes our thinking about problems. And Psalm 9 helps us, I think, with the hows and the whys of the problems we face. Look at verse 1 and 2. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And you know what you see here? You see in David's life, and that's why you understand this psalm in light of his life, that gratitude is a powerful spiritual discipline. Because David learned through all his trials, I'm going I'm to have gratitude. And I, and I think that it's very important for us to understand when you think about the power of gratitude, the discipline of gratitude, even in the midst of the trial. And look what he's doing. He's like, I'm I give thanks to you, Lord, with my whole heart. God, I'm going to choose to thank you regardless of the circumstance. It's that, it's that 1 Thessalonians 5.8 discipline that you see. You know that verse. It says, give thanks in how many circumstances? All circumstances. I give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And you see David doing this. In all his circumstances, he gives thanks. Now, I want you to notice first, put, put 1 Thessalonians 5.18 back up on the screen. I want you to notice this. Look at this verse. Notice the command. I will give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus that, that this includes all things. And, and notice this. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you need to feel grateful. We don't, we don't see that in the Bible. We hear, be grateful. We, we don't base our walk with God on feelings. 
And then I'll tell you, as I look at what's ahead for us, I look at our walk with the Lord, we cannot base our walk with Jesus on our feelings. And I see so many people do that. I see so many people look for the quiver in their liver. Is that, is that a thing? Uh, I, I always, that sounds good. It rhymes, you know. But they look for that, oh, I feel good. And let me tell you something. If, if you're at a church where you always feel good, I just want you to know you're at the wrong church. And if, you're, if you read your Bible and you always feel good, you ain't paying attention. Because I feel conviction when I read my Bible. I feel things I got to get straight. Uh, and, and let's recognize this, that, that, that you see in David's life, he's not based this on his feelings. There were many times he didn't feel safe. You think he felt safe facing Goliath that we read about? No. But he said, I'm, I'm trusting the Lord. And he did. It was uh, gratitude. He praised the Lord. Lord, I'm grateful. L- notice, notice what else. He, he turns to the strength that God provides. Look at verse 4. And this is a principle for us. Turn to the strength that God provides. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. Look at verse 9. The, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And what David is doing, he's, he's modeling for us in the midst of the trial, I'm going to seek the Lord. And he's constantly practicing the presence of God in the midst of the trials. And this is something that we're to do. And, and And I don't know if you've caught in our reading today, if you read today already, Psalm 11. Oh my goodness, it was so cool. just struck me today as I was, uh, you know, I'd already prepared this in Psalm 11, verse 4 and 5. It says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the sons of man, mankind. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and his soul hates the one who loves violence. And we see that the Lord tests us. The Lord tests the righteous. The Lord tests the wicked. David understood this, and, and, and he turned to the Lord in the strength that God provided. And it's something God does. It's wise to practice the presence of God. It's wise to turn to the strength God provides. And he also does this. Look look at verse 14. You see that he remembers how God worked in the past. You know how important that is? To remember how God has worked all through the scriptures. You see God's people going, hey, look back. Don't forget. Um, You know, how many times have we read in in Judges, they forgot the Lord. They forgot. And we have a tendency to forget and, and we're to remember how God has worked in the past, verse 14, so that I may tell of all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. He looks back at his salvation. He, he's telling the praises. This is why I want to challenge you at lunch in your family. Don't, don't just talk about the golf tournament. That's okay at some point, I guess. But, but, but talk about how the Lord has moved in your life. Your, your kids ought to know your story. And they ought to know this way before they're planning your funeral, right? Tell, tell what, remember how God has moved in your lives, in your family, in your, in you, through, throughout your year. Um, he says, uh, the nations, look at verse 15, 
the nations have sunk down into the pit which they have made. Oh, let's consider this. You know, I, I've just been wrestling with this book I read, uh, finished, it was probably a couple weeks ago, but it was about, um, uh, I can't remember the title, it's like, uh, um, it was like civilizations and governments from the very beginning to the fall of Rome. The, fall, the rise and fall of world powers. And do you know what is fascinating? All through history, there have been different world powers that have come and gone. And we look at our American nation. Let me tell you something. If we, don't, if we actually think that America won't rise and fall like every other in nation in the history of the world, we're bad students of history. And notice this. The nations have sunk down into the pit they have made. In the net which they hid, their own foot has been caught. Oh, look at verse 16. The Lord has made himself known. Oh, don't you know that's true? That's why I feel the pressure of people saying, ah, you need to update your Bible. No, 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 no. Time out. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. And notice this. He's talking about nations here. A wicked one is ensnared in the work of his own hands. Now, now we need to remember how God has worked in the past. That's why David says, seek him. And you know what? I'm not fatalistic here. I'm not being fatalistic with our nation, and though I think we've got some issues, and I think we've created some snares for ourselves. And we dug quite a few pits. And guess who did it? We did. But let's recognize this. When you look at the psalm, he fully expects God to come through on his promises. Hey, let me tell you, God's going to keep every promise he made. God is never going to falter on any promise. Let's never forget this. Look at verse 17. The wicked shall return to Sheol. All the nations that forget God. Let's think about that for a second. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Ah, oh, let's not miss this. Arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Can I tell you, can we just embrace this moment, how valuable it is for us to realize that we are just men. We are not God. 
And let's just think about our nation for just a moment. We like the idea that we're in control. But let's just consider something. Remember about a year and a half ago, I think, an ice storm hit Houston. I think it was an ice storm. Remember that? They're not used to ice storms. And it knocked out all the power. It was either ice or rain. I can't remember. Was it ice? Okay. Remember all the power grid went out? And the entire city of Houston was in absolute chaos in a matter of hours. Folks, we need the Lord. And, and I'll, there is incredible value for a nation to recognize that we are but men. And, and here's what I want us to realize as I look at this psalm. Seeking the Lord, serving the Lord, honoring the Lord, and trusting the Lord will always deliver for you. Let's not miss that. That's what David learned. God, you're smarter than me. God, you will always deliver. Now, um, third thing, it's a principle in the psalm. You can see it. Is that turning to the Lord in times of trouble, it's always the right thing to do. You know, I had a, I had a really interesting experience on Monday. Um, Caleb Bundy and I, um, Caleb went with me on a little errand. I had a friend from Ada, which was my first church I served in, and he called me and he said, I've got a friend that's at OSU Medical Center. And he said, would you go see him? And he said, I, I, he might be dying. And I said, okay. And he goes, he may kick you out of the hospital room. He just may flat out kick you out. And I was like, well, that'll be... That'd be fun. So, uh, Caleb, come with me. Uh, you might want to see this. I asked Caleb to come. I walked in the door, and I said, hey, Jeff, my name's Chris. And um, I came to see you today. I go, you don't know me, uh, but, I, but I came to see you. And um, I said, I'm a friend of Ken's. And he goes, I don't even know you. I go, yeah, I know, I know. He goes, this is, this is offensive to me. I was like, well, I don't, I don't mean to offend you. I really don't. I said, I go, but I'm a friend of Ken's, and he thought I could help you. He goes, well, I don't know about that. I just don't know. And I go, well, he goes, let's FaceTime Ken. I was like, okay. So I FaceTimed him, and I'm like, hey, Ken. Hey, I'm here with Jeff. And, I go, and he goes, Jeff, this is a friend of mine, and I can't get there today, and I think he can help you. He goes, well, I don't know. This is kind of offensive. He goes, I didn't mean to offend you. I'm sorry, but would and we got off the phone awkwardly. And he, this is what Jeff looked at me. He goes, he goes, all right, pull up a chair. He goes, don't ask me one question about myself. He goes, but what do you have to say? And this was not pleasant. This was not a pleasant question. But he goes, what do you have to say? Don't ask me one question about myself. I was like, okay. So he said, pull up a chair. And so I sit down and I look at him and I said, he goes, come on, what do you have to say? And I was like, well, all right. You're a sinner. And you need a savior. 
He goes, I've been an atheist my whole life. I go, well, that's not a good idea. And I said, let me tell you, there's a God. And when you die, you stand in front of him. And I said, I'm going to tell you, it's way better standing in front of him as a saved man than as a lost man. And right now, you're a lost man. And you need a savior. You know what he said? He goes, he goes I feel like I'm going to die either way. I go, you are. I go, but you need Jesus more than you need the next breath that you take because he's real. And the Bible says the second you draw your last breath, you're going to look him in the eye. You need a Savior. And then I went through, here's what the Bible says. And he's listening to me, and he's sitting there, and he goes, you know what he said to me? He goes, he goes now he's calling me Chris. Chris, I've never prayed in my entire life. If I just call on him now, I'd be a hypocrite. I go, Jeff, that's all of us, man. He goes, I don't know how to pray. I go, well, I'll help you. And then he looked at me, he goes, would you? And right there, I prayed with him, and he trusted Christ as his Savior. I mean, that's all, yeah, clap for that, that's incredible. It shocked me too. It really did. I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. I FaceTimed Ken. And I didn't think about this. I just FaceTimed him. Ken, oh my goodness. Jeff, tell him what you just did. He goes, I just put my faith in Jesus, man. Uh, and then he goes, did I trust like a Catholic and, and Baptist? What, what did I do? I was like, oh no, I hope you got this right. Uh, but but he go, I go, man, you just trust in Jesus, man. It's just Jesus. And he's like, okay, okay. And then he goes, Ken, I, I trusted Jesus today. And then I said, Ken, would you pray for him? And then Ken said something odd to me. He goes, he goes, wow. Ken's crying, and he goes, he goes, Jeff, would it be offensive if I prayed for you? And they had this little moment, and Jeff said, no offense anymore, Ken, no offense. And Ken prayed for him. I leave and I call Ken. I was like, dude, that was awesome. And he goes, he's crying. He goes, Chris, you have no idea what, how big this was. He goes, about, uh, about eight months ago, Jeff was working at my house. And I said to him, can I pray for you? And Jeff clenched his fist, his neck bowed. He goes, don't you ever say anything about God to me. Don't you ever asked to pray for me ever again. I had no idea about that. Ken was like, okay, okay, Jeff, I'll never say that again. And then here I am going, hey, why don't you pray for him? <laughs> and, uh, and Jeff said, no offense anymore. You know, since Monday, he's been calling all his friends. Hey, I come to Jesus. Jesus saved me. Ken showed up yesterday at OSU Medical Center just to see him. He texted me, he goes, I cannot believe this. You know what Jeff said? We, we had this moment. It's always best to turn to Jesus in times of trouble. That's what Psalm 9 points to. For David, it's a time of trouble. You need Christ. 
You need this perspective of praise in the midst of the storm. It's this growth in our lives where we're, we're not just basing our walk with God on a feeling we have. Let me tell you something. we got to grow beyond that. we got to go grow beyond of just expecting a feeling, but to have a faith that's real, that's lasting. And, and you know, you know what I see this psalm helping us do? Look at verse 10. Look at Psalm 910. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Oh my goodness, we, that's the story of David's life. In spite of his failures, in spite of his difficulties, in spite of his, um, um, his struggles as a dad. You know why David is a man after God's heart? Because he kept seeking the Lord. He kept going back to the Lord. He would fail utterly and kept, he kept going back to the Lord. And you know what he lived out? He lived out that James 1 problem perspective. You remember that, right? James 1, verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of many kinds because it's the testing of your faith that develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So as we think about the problems that come our way, we, we, we see that David exemplifying that, that, that problems are designed to develop endurance. And this is what James talks about as, as David learned to trust the Lord through his problems and what did God do? Helped him endure. And, and, and it's that ability to hang in there. It's a, that, 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 that ability to go, no matter what press, the pressure is, I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going I'm to walk with the Lord. And it's, it's, and it's kind of like this. You can, you can evaluate how strong your faith is by, by what it takes to stop you. You know what I pray? That nothing stops us from believing in Jesus. <laughs> you know, I'm starting this podcast on how do you deal with tough times and loss and grief. And people said, no one's going to listen to that. I'm like, oh, maybe not, but you ought to. Because I'm learning, I've learned that God's faithful through the storm. Through it. And this is what we see in this passage, that, that, that it's, this, it's this testing of our faith that develops perseverance. And let me tell you, we're going to have to learn to persevere. We're going to have to learn to be mentally tough as believers. We're going to have to, you, you're not going to be able to walk with the Lord in the, in the days ahead if we're not tough. I think God's taking us through some toughness training. Problems are designed to develop endurance. Problems are also designed to develop our character. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And, and, and God's teaching us that, hey, look, we're not going to panic in trials. We're not gonna, and David didn't do that. He didn't panic in trials. That's why he walked into Goliath and said, hey, man, I come to you in the name of the Lord my God. And he had tested his, his, his stone and his sling, and, and he ran at Goliath and just took the dude out. 
Because he trusted the Lord. And, and see, it was these things that were developing his character, that God wanted David to be mature. He wanted him to grow up. Same, as you, same with you. God takes us through problems and trials because he, we're growing up in our faith. And you see, problems develop character. But you know what else problems do? It purifies our faith. Problems, as we go through difficulties, our faith becomes pure. It becomes right. It becomes strong. And that's what Psalm 9 helps us embrace. God's faithful. And as we close today, I'm going to ask Josh to come on up. I want you to just hear some verses. I'm just going to give you four just to consider. Job 23.10, he has tested me through the refining fire and I have come out as pure gold. Job. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith. Paul wrote that. He was established. Romans 1.17. The righteous shall live by faith. Proverbs 24.10. If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? And you see the, this this push in the Bible and, and this push through the Spirit of God that, look, don't falter in times of trouble. I would guess that we will all go through different times of trouble, but we don't falter because we're growing up in our faith and God is faithful. Now, I know that there's, it is fascinating to evaluate the time in the history of the world that we're called to serve the Lord. God has called us to serve the Lord in these days, to be a light to the world, to, to go to the nations, to go to the world as, a, as an ambassador for him. And we're to go to Tulsa, Owasso, Tulsa, Collinsville, Skytook, all, all around us, Claremore. We, we go to all these places. We live here, and we, we are a witness here. We, we go across Oklahoma. We go across the United States. We go all over the world because the world needs Christ. And, you know, when I think about the pressures of the world, the fears in the world, I, I, read, um, I read something from Arthur Pink. He's a, now, if you're, I like him because if your name is Arthur Pink, you're, you, you're a tough pastor, Okay. I don't know if his parents liked him that much, but, um, but Arthur Pink is a, was a great leader. And he wrote this, it just struck me. God is working out his eternal purpose, not only in spite of human and satanic, satanic opposition, but by means of them. And I, that, that struck me as I process the fears, the political fears, the global fears. 
And as I look at Psalm 9, God is just working. And I'll say it again. God is working out his eternal purpose. Not only in spite of human and satanic opposition, but by means of them. And here's the thing. You can trust the Lord. And, and you know, David taught us by his life. God, you're faithful. All through history, men and women have walked with Jesus, showing us that God is faithful. And even though we are living in a time, the first time in the history of the world, in our generation, that you really have the capacity for global destruction, God's called us to be witnesses. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty exciting to me. You know, we're going to have an invitation. And can I tell you something that was on my heart at Easter? I mean, Callie, we, we saw 10 people baptized on Easter Sunday. It's incredible. But there are often times, and in the, in the last service on Easter, we had a young lady was bold enough to walk down the aisle and tell Andrew, I need to be saved. And she got saved last Sunday on Easter Sunday. But you know how often on, on Easter I was standing in front in the second service and I was frustrated because I felt like our church was stiff and cold with an invitation. Now that was my feeling and I'm learning not to just trust my feelings because God's using us. I know that. God's using our church in an awesome way and God did on Easter. But it did cause me to stop and go, Lord, are we hungry for you? Are we complacent? And you know what I've, I've been praying is that God would make us hungry for him and responsive to him. Now, you know what? Even though I was in the middle of, I was standing down front in the second service complaining to the Lord about what I felt. Something happened that I didn't see. But I found out afterwards. There was a, a young lady in the room that was crying and somebody noticed. And they walked over and prayed for that lady. And, I, I, and so I just said to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry for not trusting you. But at the same time, I think we can respond better to the Lord. So I wanna tell you how we're gonna try that. Um, I'm really excited about the renovation of our worship center because it's a great need. And I want better prayer things down here than this massive wall and things. But I'm not going to wait. So around the room, in our invitation, we're going to have men and women around the room. And if you need prayer, uh, we'll pray for you. 
If, you need, if you've got a problem you're dealing with, you're not alone. Let's get better at being in the moment. Not, not a feeling. Look, I'm not, I'm not. But I'll tell you, God, God is at work. And we need to respond to him. Like Jeff this week. It was time. Jeff, respond. Is there a problem you're dealing with? And maybe you just need prayer for that problem. There are people around the room that will just pray for you. You don't have to air all your dirty laundry, but we'll pray for you. Do you need Jesus today? Oh, come to him. Because it taught me this week, God's at work. God's still drawing people to salvation. Is that you? If you're online, we have guys online ready to talk to you. But here's what we're going to do. Keith's going to come up, and uh, we're gonna, we've got some work to do with the bosses. They're, this is the family on the front row, the bosses. Isn't that a cool name? If you're a missionary, they're missionaries. And the bosses are missionaries all over, like, they're over all of Europe. How cool is that? I mean, if, if you're over all of Europe and your name is Boss, that's, that's awesome. They're about to go back, and they need us to pray for them.